Bible, you realize that as a Christian, you know that the best is yet to come, right? The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Which means like, it's way better later. But he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ. And if I stay, there's fruit for my labor. So Christians wanting to, let's just get out of here. What it does is you disengage from the work of Jesus's mission in this world. Jesus is coming back one day, maybe soon, but that moment isn't right now. So what are you doing while you wait for Jesus? Pastor Daniel reminds you today not to check out from what God's doing here now in your midst. Look around with eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. See what's happening and join in. Don't escape from the world. Don't leave the world without hope. You could help change someone's life for eternity. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, as he begins his message, The Harvest. So we're here in this, what we're calling a year of revelation, right? Where we're seeking to see Jesus in fresh ways and then show Jesus as our life is transformed and share with people who Jesus is. And in doing it, we've been studying the book of Revelation, one of the most controversial and oftentimes ignored books in the Bible. It's been really interesting to me as we've been on this journey, how we've, in talking to so many people, I've had people constantly say, well, Pastor John, I never heard someone teach the book of Revelation in a hope-filled way. And I wanted to talk about that for a second, because in some ways, if you're catching that, it's because I'm doing it intentionally. We've been talking here, if you've been studying along with us, we've been wanting to look at some of the ways that Satan works, and you see it very clearly in the book of Revelation, things like where he wants to deceive or he wants to counterfeit. One of the ways that Satan can really bankrupt the Christian faith is when you take God's word and you apply it in a way that doesn't make us more like Jesus. See, like in a lot of ways, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, and I realize not everybody here is a follower of Jesus. Crosses is the kind of church that people can come wherever they are on the journey. We don't make you sign all these things to come in the door. You have to dot your I's and cross your T's. We trust that everyone's on the step of their journey. And if somebody wants to be on the journey, we want them to be here with us. But one of the things in, in your growth in Jesus, for each one of us, you have to have an end in mind. Like, this is where I'm trying to get to, right? And then if you know, this is what I believe a fully mature Christian disciple is, then you kind of reverse engineer it to become that. It's kind of like if you want to retire one day. Anybody here want to retire one day? Yeah, a whole bunch of us. Some of you are already there. We're all jealous, You know, but like if you want to retire, like you have to think, like if I want to retire, these are the things that I need to do to be able to retire. 
right? And they'll tell you, if you know where you need to get to, then you know how you start early and just keep on chipping away. And then all of a sudden you find yourself there. And if you didn't start early, then you're like, wait, I got to get, I got to start a little bit later. I got to get this thing going, right? Because there's a goal in mind. Now, in the same way, you should have a goal in mind for this is what a mature believer in Jesus looks like, right? And then you begin to organize your life towards that end. Now, the big question becomes, well, well, what does a mature believer in Jesus look like? Well, Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That's the greatest commandment. So at the very least, we realize a mature follower of Jesus loves God with the totality of who they are, and then they also love their neighbors, as the way they love themselves. I like to call this what upward, inward, and outward, right? Talk about this all the time. There's a relationship with God. There's who God is, shows you who you are, your identity, and then how you live in the world is with other people. So a mature follower of Jesus loves God and chooses to love their neighbors. Now, of course, the question becomes, well, who's my neighbor, right? And, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Rogers said, what? Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> and so we, we realize biblically our neighbor is everybody who's alive, Right, So it's not just the person who lives next to you. It's everybody in the world is your neighbor. So there's no version of Christian discipleship that doesn't involve you growing to love God more and to love other people more, even your enemies, because Jesus was very clear, you got to love your enemies. Now, that's one step in the journey. Then, of course, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which, by all accounts, if God's Spirit is working in you, you become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, <laughs> you know, you become more gentle and you become more faithful, you become more kind, you become more self-controlled, right? So it's like your version of Christian maturity becomes like, hey, I'm becoming more self-controlled, I'm becoming more kind, I'm becoming more patient with people, right? So you have that. Then you have things like Jesus said that he has come that make us both salt and light. I get that out of Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, Right now, of course, the idea of becoming salt in Jesus's culture is long before, like, you know, we live in a day and age where if you open up your spice cabinet, there's like 97 million different flavors in there. Right. I mean, isn't that a cool thing? Right. Like you did. A, someone brought a recipe over. There's some random thing in there. You're like, man, that thing is still good. Like 350 years later, still like spring on that thing on your food. But back in the day, like salt was literally used as a preservative. Use it as a preservative because they didn't have ice boxes. So if they had meat, they didn't eat all. They rubbed some salt on it to keep it for a little bit longer. So you have this idea of like we're supposed to become salt, and really it is a seasoning, right? I like to remind people that if you eat a bunch of potato chips, you get what? Thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. Our lives should be the kind of lives where people are thirsty because they're seeing things in our life that they're like, man, I want that in my life. And then, of course, light is important. Because back in the day, this was long before they had light switches. And I mean, we have like, you know, theater lighting in here or, you know, you have uh, street lighting and your road, like literally in Jesus's day, if the sun wasn't out, then it was the moon, the stars. And if there was a fire, that's all you had. There's no flashlights, mag lights, flashlights on your phone. Like there's none of that stuff. So light was an essential part of life. And so a fully mature disciple of Jesus is someone who is salt and light. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because part of what I'm trying to do in teaching the book of Revelation to you all the way that I am is I'm trying to counteract a version of the application of the book of Revelation that starts to cause people who believe in Jesus, first what they do is they become very skeptical of everything in the world. 
So that, like, you know, it's all, everything is like, oh, this is, you know, and so before you know it, you're looking at the world through the lens of everything is going to go really, really bad. And once you start down that road, then the next step that you land on is escapism. Just get me out of here. Right? Like, like, I just want the rapture to come and I am out of here. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Right? And people believe that. And so, and then if that blossoms all the way, you end up with Christian nihilism or nihilism, which is, it really means that there's none of this matters. It's all bad. It's all going wrong. And so like none of this matters. Now, what's amazing if you think about it, and if you've ever studied philosophy, you haven't, you should, because a lot of the things that our culture thinks it's just because you read the history of philosophy, you realize this came from here, this came from here, and somehow we adopted it, which is crazy. But that's a different discussion. But nihilism actually has its foundation in Russia when Russia was an atheistic country. So atheism leads to nihilism, but how deceptive is it when Christians land at none of this matters? It's all going bad. See, it's one of the ways Satan has grabbed hold of church. Let's talk about escapism for a second. If you know your Bible, you realize that as a Christian, you know that the best is yet to come, right? The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Which means like, it's way better later. But he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ. And if I stay, there's fruit for my labor. So Christians wanting to, let's just get out of here. What it does is you disengage from the work of Jesus's mission in this world. Because I just want to get out of here. And Satan loves a church that is disengaged. Why? Because there's no salt and there's no light there. And the world can do what it wants, right? And so you end up having a version of Christianity where everyone's just trying to get out of Dodge so we don't have to deal with this garbage. And then if that keeps going, then eventually you're just like, it's all going bad. The Antichrist is coming. Just like, let's just buy a bunch of spam and buy a bunch of land and we'll live off the land and we'll, we'll wait out the apocalypse, man. And I'm here to tell you, that is nuts. It's nuts because... Our model is Jesus who left heaven's glory and dwelt among us, like right in the neighborhood, right? And so what you have is you have the teaching of the book of Revelation in this over-realized understanding. And now all of a sudden the church is now wanting to not be here, pulling ourselves out of it, and then ultimately being hopeless. And I'm here to tell you, that is not mature Christian discipleship, people. When have you ever met somebody like, that person's a rock-solid Christian. They think everything is lost, life is lousy, and they just want to get out of here. Where is that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor like yourself? Where is that is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, self-control? Where is that salt? It's not. So part of what I'm trying to do, because I realize not only is it us here at Crossroads, but, you know, as people watch on TV and the radio and people pick us up online and they're listening to podcasts and all these different things, what I'm trying to say is that if we're studying the book of Revelation and we don't become more hopeful, we don't find ourselves desiring to be more engaged in this world, then what Satan is doing is he's taking God's good word, he's applying it in a way that's false to get us off track. And I have lots of friends who are in this category, people who I love with my whole heart. I talk to them, I'm like, listen, you're talking about fatalism. You're not talking about the hope of Jesus. The church is supposed to be God's hope for humanity. Not me and you, but Jesus in redeeming people. 
And now the churches, you just want to get out of here telling people, man, this is all going bad. Be freaked out over everything. I'm like, dude, this is not healthy. But I believe that what God wants is he wants us to study Revelation so we have understanding of what the dynamics are, but not so that we want to escape, but because we want to press it. Not because we're saying it's all meaningless. We realize it's all meaningful because Jesus is at the center of it. And we start to see our lives with the understanding that these are some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And we live with an even greater sense of urgency and a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of mission. Because we're not saying, I just can't wait to get out of here. The rapture's coming. Don't forget, remember when the disciples, they watched Jesus ascend? And what did the angels say to him? Why are you looking up? Jesus is going to come back. Go to where he told you to go to. See, I love that. Because what we want to do sometimes as believers, we want to stand up and say, Jesus is coming back. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, the fields are white with harvest. And God is praying for laborers to go into the field. And brothers and sisters, as a church family, Crossroads is a, we're going to labor in the field kind of a church. Does that make sense? And I want you to be like, we're laboring in the field kind of people. But if you're one of those people who are struggling with the fatalism, the nihilism, the hopelessness, and the escapism, I'm here to tell you, God wants to do a revival in your heart. Listen, when it's time to go, we go. Until it's time to go, we roll up our sleeves in Jesus' name and we simply respond to him. Amen? Amen. I want to put it out there because the number of people are like, but, but Pastor Daniel, like, Shouldn't we be talking more about the rapture? I'm like, no. It doesn't even say the word in the book of Revelation. If I'm doing a good job teaching this, like we got to teach what, it's like, listen, if it happens, when it happens, how it happens, we'll know it happened. Someone's like, how will I know when the rapture happens? I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're going to figure it out. Like, be like, hey, like, wow. You know, it's like, but until then, everything being pointing to the rapture, like, what does that do for us? We should be looking at our world and saying, where's the places of pain that we want to meet our world in the name of Jesus? Because of our belief in who God is, we should be engaging more and more and more in our community, not less and less and less. But you see the lies of the enemy to try and get us to not want to be in the middle of it, not want us to be in our world as salt and light, as ambassadors for Christ. And so I wanted to share all that because we've been studying the book of Revelation and we're kind of in this parenthesis at the seventh trumpet judgment, which we're about to land in the, the last set of seven judgments called the bold judgments or the vile judgments. But we've been learning about the Antichrist and the false prophet and this battle between Satan and all. We've been seeing all this stuff and it's so easy to be like, man, just get me out of here. But then the chapter that we're going to take today lands and we're like, oh, all right, Lord. So open up your Bibles, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, open up those Bibles, pull out those writing, those, your journals, your notebooks, your Evernote app, your notes app. Open up your Bible, or of course, if you got a phone, that phone is smarter than all of us combined. Just go with Revelation 14, pop it in there. I want you to read along with us. And it's so funny, I was trying to do that intro way shorter than I did. But you know how that goes. <laughs> Revelation 14, picking up in, in verse 1, says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, 
having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the lamb. Verse 5, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So what's interesting is like, you know, we've been seeing the dragon and persecuting the woman. We've been seeing the beast from the sea, the antichrist. We've been seeing the false prophet, the beast from the earth. And now what are we seeing? We're seeing Jesus and his people. We're seeing Jesus and his people. So we have to remember that in the real world, it's not all always all bad and it's not always all good. Like you have all of it in the real world. And even in these chapters here, you see like we're seeing all this bad stuff and then Beautifully, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. Now, if you remember Revelation 7, we met the 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel, this unique group, 12,000 from each of the tribes. And, you know, and really what we're seeing is that in the midst of all that's going on, there is evil and those who follow evil. And then there's Jesus and those who follow Jesus. And what I love about this is it's so provocative because at the end of verse one, it says having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, if you're with us in Revelation 13, we realize that there's this mark of the beast and that goes on either people's hands or their where? Their forehead. So what's amazing is, is that whether this is just purely symbolic or alliterative or like everyone's in line for a face tat in the future. Like Mike Tyson was just like the first guy through the door. You know what I mean? Because really for those who worship the beast, they get his mark on their forehead. And the 144,000, this unique group of people, they get the name of their father written on their forehead. Now, some people say this is actually literal, but like, is there anything more conspicuous than having something written on your forehead? I mean, it's like, it's like it's the most conspicuous thing in the world. It's like just blazing on your forehead. I used to joke that if, like, if someone would pay off the church debt, I would like tattoo their company on my forehead. <laughs> and then it was like, yeah, you're kidding, right? And I'm like, yes, I'm kidding. You know, this space is not for rent. But you know what I mean? Like, but, but, the, but the idea is it speaks of this identification. And what's amazing is, is you realize whenever this happens, everybody's going to have something on their forehead. You either have the, the mark of the beast there or you have the name of the father of the lamb there. And I want to tell you this, that there's nothing more true about the Christian faith than this. My friends, either you're a saint or you ain't. You either have put your faith and trust in Jesus or you have rejected God's grace. Now, there's lots of things in the Bible that there's gray area and there's argument about, but there's also a lot of things that are just straight up black and white. 
And it is very, very important for each one of us to be absolutely certain that you understand where are you with that. There's no such thing as like a, I'm kind of a Christian. There's no such thing as like, well, yeah, you know, like, you know, it's all good. No, listen, it's all what it is. But you have either aligned yourself with the person of Jesus and his finished work on the cross or you have rejected that. And the key is to be honest about where you are with that. Because there is nothing more honest than when on that day, Jesus is going to say, I know you. And he's going to say, I never knew you. It's cover to cover in our Bibles. And I remember, I didn't grow up in the church. So I remember when I would hear this kind of stuff, I'm like, man, that's just so lame. I mean, why does it have to be like that? But I'm here to tell you, Right now, you're either in church or you're not. Like when you go to a restaurant, you're either sitting in, you're either sitting in, insert your favorite barbecue place, because that sounds really yummy on a rainy day, unless you're a vegetarian and we love you. You can have some greens, I'll have the barbecue. And then, you know, and then like, or you're not. Like, it's like these things are very clear. And it's very important that we come to terms with that. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, then that should be as conspicuous as a forehead tattoo. And I'm here to tell you, if you're not a Christian today, then you need to be a Christian. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I'm going to talk to you about why in a little bit. We're going to see more about how this works. But what's beautiful is, is God has sealed his 144,000. And then it says in verse 2, I heard this voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and the voice of loud thunder. And I hear this sound of harpists playing their hearts. And it says, and they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, I love this, because if you remember in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we saw this heavenly scene. There's the four living creatures there. There's the, the elders who were there. And really what you have now is they... John hears the sound. There's water and there's thunder. He hears stringed instruments. And then he hears this new song. It's the new song of these 144,000. Now, I realize that for some of us, like, you always don't like the new song, right? Like, there's just some of us, we just love classic rock, right? Like, we just love Sweet Home Alabama. And listen, if you like classic rock, that's a great thing. Because I like classic rock, too. Don't get me wrong. But some of us just don't like new things, right? We don't like change. Like, I remember it used to be when I first got to Crossroads, man, we would, like, paint something. People get all mad. As, like, like, like as if the color on the wall. I had some people be like, man, this is ungodly. It's like, it's just paint. The thing's old. Like, you know? But some of us are like, we're those change resistors. Now, if that's you, listen. You're allowed to have your preferences, but sometimes a new song is necessary. But here's the question for you. Because I want to apply it. And God really kind of blew my mind with this, actually. I think there's a number of you right now you're busy singing the song of the last season and God has a new song for you. But are you willing to let him write the new song? Jesus is real. So, what's the new song Jesus wants you to be singing? There's something he's doing in the world around you and you may not be aware yet. So that's what Pastor Daniel wants to leave you with today. You have an opportunity to step into God's plan. 
Are you going to take it? Or are you going to hide away with the same old tune until it's time to go to heaven? It's time right now to make a choice. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel asks you if there's something you're waiting for before you jump into ministry. Whatever that ministry looks like for you. Are you single and waiting to be married? Are you married and waiting for your family to hit a certain milestone? Is there a looming promotion that you think will do the trick? It doesn't matter wherever you are now. Do what God's calling you to do. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.